everyone. Welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, who also is a blogger, podcaster, and Panay Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. That official intro. Welcome back, beautiful people. <laughs> yeah, we don't really do that as often as we should, but there you go. <laughs> It's so great to be back. We're really excited today, aren't we, Nani? This is a bonus special episode that you and I thought was really, really important to have. And I remember when I texted you and you said, yes, let's do this. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad she's willing to do it because this is not going to be an easy conversation, I think, that we're going to have today. So I just want to, first of all, thank you for wanting to say yes (laughs) and for doing this with me. As we tease our listeners, like, wait, what are we talking about today? Let's let you all know how you can get a hold of us. So if this conversation resonates with you in any way, feel free to shoot us a text message. Our phone number is 415-484-8329. Again, the number is 415-484-8329. And if you want to check out the show notes of this episode, of course, you can take a look at that in the podcasting platform of your preference. I know a lot of our listeners are on Apple Podcasts, so you could just click on the details of that episode and you'll see everything you need about us in there. Or for everyone who prefers desktop, our website is tfawproject.com. That's Tifa as in the Filipino American Woman Project.com. And of course, we have to talk about the amazing newsletter that Nani always does an incredible job putting together. Nani, convince people why they're missing out if they're not subscribed already. Well, this is just where our like hub of community is these days. And this is where I include messages that we have for you guys, news updates. We do a little overview with the help of our beautiful interns on like news and politics, both here in the U.S. and what's going on in the Philippines. We promote obviously our latest interviews and any like resources that we have to share with you guys online, whether they be documentaries or YouTube videos or books to read or like virtual events that past guests are hosting or just spaces created specifically for Pinais and also media, any media that Jen and I are featured in outside of the podcast. So yeah, there's just a wealth of information there that you're missing out on if you're not subscribed. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're just going to, everything's going to be out of context in anything that you digest from us if you're not subscribed to that newsletter. And even though we're going to start to have interns help us with our social media presence, we still do prefer that you shoot us an email or a text message. Or even for me, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's fine. I just have my notifications off. So I will only look at it when I'm actually (laughs) on the app because healthy boundaries are really important. Well, thank you, Nani, for that little spiel on our newsletter. And I believe this is I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do with this episode, but let me just put it out there. If you all want to know who our sponsors are, check out the show notes of this episode. One of the sponsors is Focus at Will, which for anyone that's working from home, which is basically everyone right now, it's a great app to listen to music that is scientifically chosen for you to actually focus at will (laughs) to focus if you really need to focus on your computer or whatever project you're working on. I've been using it since 2014. I love it. And I highly recommend it to anyone that is just looking for some kind of music app that really actually helps you focus. I know for me, Nani, if I listen to my favorite music, I tend to like follow the lyrics and then all of a sudden I forget what I'm doing for work. So I really love, I really love this app because it helps me just straight up focus or even just reduce my own anxiety. If I feel like I'm having an anxious moment, I just listen to that and I'm just all of a sudden I'm like magically more calm and I love it. So (laughs) yeah. All right. So with that said, let's go ahead and bring on our guest today. So yeah, let me bring him on and then I'll kind of like 
mentioned the context of all of this is why we have everyone on here. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on a wife of a small business owner and mom of two daughters, professional development coach and educator and public servant, Dr. Eileen Orlino Dinkjian. Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And Nani, do you want to introduce your best friend? Yes. Our second <laughs> guest here with us today is my BFF since high school. And I refer to her differently than you all will, because I have a special nickname for her, obviously, which is Foofy Foofy. And <laughs> you will only understand that reference if you watched Flavor of Love with Flavor Flav back in the day. Otherwise, you all can know her as Caitlin Demasian. Welcome to the show, bestie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, th yeah, thank you all. So now our listeners are like, oh my gosh, there's some hard hitters in this conversation right now. What is going on? Okay, so let's give you all a little backstory. January in the new year has been quite an interesting month. If you all know what went on in D.C. on January 6th, if you don't know what happened, I honestly don't know why you wouldn't know, but if you don't know, look it up. But it was really like that day where, Nani, I had to text you. You know, ever since uh, Trump came into office, I noticed a lot more people, and even my therapist brought this up, a lot of more people talk about politics, like amongst their personal relationships. And so it is very polarizing. It is very triggering for a lot of people. However, I do believe that, Nani, we've created a safe space on here to have these hot discussions without so much being a hot discussion. So when I did text you, Nani, and you said yes, what compelled you to say yes and be a part of this conversation to talk about Filipino-American women and politics? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important for us to highlight how to have these discussions, you know, with differing views and opinions and influences from both sides. And because I think that as much as it's okay and you know you're validated in being angry about what's going on in our current political landscape it's also more important how you respond to that anger and what you do with it and mm -hmm. how you work with people that don't necessarily see eye to eye right. with you all the time on how to move forward and i think that we had had a really important discussion offline a few weeks or a few months ago i don't know when that was at this point I don't even remember what the triggering event was where we were kind of going back and forth a little bit amongst ourselves. And I was thinking that that would have been a great conversation to highlight on the show as well. So I think mm -hmm. that what happened in D.C. last week just kind of gave us another opportunity to have a discussion like that amongst ourselves. And now we have two lovely ladies to join us and help weigh in on that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are so excited. So I want to start off with bringing on Caitlin, Nani's best friend or BFF since high school. I was just talking to one of my, actually last week, Nani, the episode that came out recently, was actually my friend from all the way from high school. So I'm like going back to my high school days now. Shout out Tiffany. Yeah, shout out to Tiff. So Caitlin, the first question is going to be obvious, but just feel free to answer it anyway. How did you hear about our project and what compelled you to be part of this particular conversation today? Yes. So obviously I heard about this project through my best friend. So I've been listening and following because she's been participating on this show. But on top of that, it was of interest to me as a Filipino American woman to hear about this space and find out that there was this space. And we had spoken for a while about, you know, eventually wanting to participate at some time or seeing if maybe, you know, there would be a space or an appropriate time to do that. And she knows because in particular, something that I'm really interested in is in 
narrative and perspective, ethnic studies, that's something I'm going to school for. So my master's in the humanities. And so right now I'm actually writing a thesis where I'm looking at perspectives or the silences of a woman of color within the humanities and within Western culture. So, Mm. you know, looking at, you know, criticizing different cultures, looking at, you know, media, looking at perspective, really looking at narrative that is and isn't readily available is something that, you know, I really try to take the time to do. And I know that's something that we all kind of discussed and touched a little bit about in our emails. And that's something that, you know, I'm going to school for right now and really, really trying to take, you know, those next steps as to, you know, when we're talking about, you know, actionable steps, you know, about our feelings. Yeah. Any strong emotions that we have. Okay. Like I'm really trying to figure out what are those actionable steps I can take with those feelings. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. And I'm so excited. Like, I feel like, <laughs> like Nani, why, Nani, why don't you tell me about your friend, Caitlin here? Like, she sounds like a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> oh, no, she is. Trust me. And I think that I was just also, like she said, waiting for the perfect and mm. most appropriate opportunity to introduce her to you guys. And, you know, having this as her like real passion and like pressure point of knowledge, it was just perfect. So, of course, I had to reel her in here. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming and joining us today, Caitlin. Let me go ahead and move over to Eileen here. Eileen, how did you hear about the project and what compelled you to be part of this special discussion today? Well, so I've been listening to podcasts for you know several years and I realized, you know, I don't listen to Filipino podcasts. Is there any? So I asked myself, like, I'm going to go look around. And I found your podcast and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing to hear Filipino-American stories that I can actually relate to. And mm-hmm. I found your stories and what has been shared on your show to be very beneficial for me because it kind of also helps me understand myself a little bit more as I grow into this world being Filipino-American. And the stories you brought onto the show were not only just those who were born in America, but those that were also born in the Philippines and what they've experienced. And I don't usually hear that all the time, especially at home where my upbringing is filled with stories that, or not enough stories (laughs) based on some of the histories that my parents and family have gone through. So to hear it from people who are willing to speak up about it, I found an outlet, I found a space where I can listen to others going through certain things that I can relate to. I love it. And I love that we have been texting each other since you reached out. (laughs) You know, you're one of the first people I think on the show where we were able to have a talk about politics like offline, you know, so that was really fun. So thank you for, you know, engaging with me on that end. And and I'm sure we'll get more into your background as well. So, so yeah, so happy for everyone to be here. All right, we're moving on. Okay. So this next question, and I think Nani and I, it's important for you and I to also answer this question is to tell us a little bit about your family background and what it means for you to be Filipino American woman. The extra thing I want to add to that question, when I say background, I also mean like your experience exposure to politics, like what has been your upbringing like and everything on that end. And so Nani, do you want to go first or should I go first? (laughs) So with respect to this conversation, since it is about politics today, my background as a Filipino American woman is someone who was raised under the Maria Clara archetype, which we have talked about a lot on this show. And so I was raised not to rock the boat, not to ask questions, just to do what I'm told. And that is how I've learned to be in the world. That's how I've learned to navigate the world. And, you know, we've talked about that on the show in various forums, whether it be with 
our romantic relationships or our relationships with family, whether it be our career decisions and how, you know, meeting those expectations of our family has really driven what we do today. And that also can be applied to our political views and how those have been informed. So my background as a Filipino American woman is someone who was yeah, again, raised to do what I was told to follow suit, to not rock the boat. And I have taken it upon myself to really learn the background of like Filipino history and the history of Filipino Americans specifically and how it pertains to my family and why they felt so strongly about sticking to that narrative and passing it on to me which has only kind of influenced my passion to really speak out against any violation to human rights as it goes and kind of do what I don't feel like my elders were able to in terms of speaking out against injustice and pointing out what I think right versus wrong should look like in the world and how instead they used assimilation into American culture as kind of an escape mechanism from all of that, because as mm. we know, the political landscape in the Philippines is a lot more, what is the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot more aggressive, I guess, mm. or transparently aggressive than it is over here or than it has historically been. So my background has really been to seek to understand what that all meant and what that meant for my family specifically. And again, do what they were not able to do. And instead of just assimilating into mainstream culture to really define for myself, what are my values and what do I stand by and what can I do to explore that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Oof. And going through the emails, when you shared that with us and like your upbringing, it really touched me, you know, for you to share that, because I think that whether we all know it or not, we're either living that Maria Clara archetype or we're fighting against it, you know, and it's only until I think later in life, whether we have our first kid or we go through college or we find ourselves in like corporate America or what have you in our careers, where sometimes that's only when we start to embrace who we are as Filipino and, and kind of actually have an opinion, <laughs> I think for ourselves, you know? And so I wanted to check in with either of you, Caitlin or Eileen, if there's anything you wanted to add to what Nani had shared. Yeah, I feel the same exact way that you do in terms of, you know, we're usually spoken to as a child and we're told what to do. And I remember growing up that we didn't typically sit around the table and talk about politics or we didn't even ask, how was your day? It was just eat your meal, <laughs> do your homework. And that was pretty much it. And then it's not that it's a bad thing. I think when my family immigrated here, I'm a first generation child that they didn't really know what the American culture was, nor did they really seek to understand it either. So for the most part, they just lived and raised us as a child, uh, probably the way they would have raised any kid in the Philippines, just to be disciplined, to be obedient, and to do what we were supposed to do. And most of the time, you know, the TV would be on, and that would be our either a teacher or things that we would hear in the background. And it's a couple of things, you know, it could be politics, could be a basketball game. And that was just the culture and the lifestyle that I was raised in. Not that it was bad. It's just that what, that's what I knew growing up. And that's probably what they all, you know, they knew to help support us as a family, because my father was the only person that was working at the time as a mailman. My mom's mm -hmm. stayed at home mom. I say warrior at home because she really yes. is, you know, and <laughs> it takes a lot to really just support a family. And I understand that now being a mom myself. So and I don't 
I don't disregard what how they raised us either, because I think there's lessons to be learned from that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think teaching us to form our own opinions about things like politics and culture was just not a priority in the end. They lived a very different life than we live today. And that is, you know, with the utmost respect to them for everything, for the platform that they were able to build for us so that we could have these conversations today. So, yeah, all the respect to moms and grandmas and dads and grandpas and everybody. But again, we just weren't raised with that intrinsic ability on like forming our own opinions. We were raised with that kind of obligation to do what we're told. And I think that says a lot about how we've been involved so far in the political conversation today. I would say that I guess maybe the one thing that I'm picking up on is that um, the one thing also that I share in common with you all is that I was also raised by a single mom, a warrior, as you say. But Something unique to, I guess, my situation of being a Filipino-American woman and something which I relate to Nani about and something which she's spoken about on the show is being mixed. And both of our moms, both being white and my mom being Irish, her mom being Russian and our fathers being Filipino-Americans or Filipino and how that has really affected especially our identity as Filipino-American women and how in some ways to me that is still, you know, something that I am in transition about and in transition with feeling. And I know that's something that, you know, not even really spoken about. And speaking about your, you know, identity crisis, you know, that you were going through, which led you to, you know, find Jen and start this show. But something that I think plenty of mixed children will tell you about in general, identity crisis are a few of them are normal, you know, throughout your lifetime, you know, that's something that you are normally faced with. And I think, especially, you know, we're talking about the current political climate and the climate, you know, under, you know, the Trump administration and people thinking about politics more, thinking about race more, I think like heightened race conversations also, I think Mm -hmm. heightened emotions, I think for mixed identity people as well. I don't know how you would feel about that, Nani, but I know for me, for myself, race has definitely been something that has been on my mind more in the last couple of years, probably than it has in a while. So thinking about that and really just thinking about, you know, Myself as a Filipino-American woman, I was raised, honestly, to be to be very strong and honestly very mindful of myself and my identity in politics. My mom, like I said, she was Irish-American and she was... She is. She's still here. She is. She is Irish-American, <laughs> right? But I'm thinking about her growing up. And, well, she is a Democrat, but actually she was raised in a Republican household. But she came out here. She moved to California. She went to Berkeley. And I think she just kind of always had like these very, just like very like honest feelings and then just very like compassionate feelings. I think especially as like a young girl, she wanted to be a nun growing up. Like that was like her secret ambition. Like she wanted to be a nun and not only like, you know, my mom. (laughs) But yeah, I think she just, yeah, she is a very empathetic person and she would just identify herself as just like an idealist, I think like maybe so. That's definitely shaped her, I think, her political mind frame. And then I think being a single mom as well, I think, has really also, you know, conditioned how she feels about other people and her, I think, her political mindset. And that's something that she always shared with my sister and I. I'm a younger sister, so it was my sister, my mom and myself. So I grew up in a very strong female household, but it wasn't necessarily a strong Filipino-American household because Mm. my father was the Filipino-American And he was in our lives, throughout our life. He passed away, but he was a regular part of our life. He was there, you know, we had 
meals together every week. You know, he, he worked right up the street from us. So he was a formative aspect of our life, but his Filipino identity himself, you know, talking about assimilation, you know, talking about intergenerational family trauma, something that, you know, Nani and I have talked about. That's something that I think definitely shaped his Filipino American identity. So in turn, that's also shaped ours as well. So Caitlin, it sounds to me that you were sort of encouraged to be like woke, like at a young age, to like to be mindful and to be informed where with Nani and with Eileen, it was like, they didn't have that discussion of kind of like that mindfulness, or even in this case, talking about politics. And it sounds like we all kind of, Nani, Eileen, and even myself, we had to sort of discover it in our own way to address these kind of topics. So you're probably the veteran here when it comes to these kind of issues. So again, Nani, why didn't you bring her on sooner? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So yeah, thank you all so much for sharing that. And I guess I'll share a little bit about my background as well in the context of this conversation. It's actually my grandpa, I learned recently, used to travel from the Philippines to California, to Oakland, California, to be involved in the farming industry, I think in the early 1900s. And so both my parents come from a family of farmers in the Philippines. And my dad ended up joining the US Navy because he was like fine being a farmer from what I heard. But my grandpa was like, no, you got to join the military. You got to get more opportunities and stuff. So he took my mom. And then I was born in Yokosuka, Japan, naval base, you know, on American soil and everything. And fast forward to, you know, kind of life today, I unfortunately lost my dad when I was 10 years old while he was on active duty. So I'm what they call a gold star family member where you had lost someone while in the military or active duty military. And so I was raised by a single parent from 10 and on. My mom raised three kids under 11 starting at that point. The commonality I'm hearing, at least with Nani and with Eileen, so Nani and Eileen, is that there was so much going on growing up that there just wasn't time to talk about politics, right? There wasn't time to have those kind of discussions. And so that was basically the same thing for me. But the one thing that my mom did for me when I was eligible to vote was literally every time voting season came, she was all like, did you vote? Did you vote? Did you vote? And she's like, did you vote? Like, she didn't even ask me who I'm voting for. She's like, did you vote? Like my mom literally votes every time. And even till this day, she volunteers to help at the polls. And so actually the last time she had her whole like visor thing and like mouth cover, like she was like all out and she took a selfie and sent it to us. It was like, it was like the cutest (laughs) thing. I was like, that's my mom, y'all. That's my mom. But yeah, so it's really cool to see that we all kind of really come from different backgrounds but ultimately of like just that overall discussion other than Caitlin, Caitlin's the exception here where, you know, we just didn't really talk about politics growing up. So I think the next question I have before we get to the big question here of current events, when did it hit each and every one of you? And Caitlin, I'm sure you can add to this as well. Like when did it actually hit you where you're like, I should start paying more attention to politics. And I want to start with Eileen because you're the first person that we had this discussion with. So I thought I would ask you first. Well, what hit me was just realizing how sheltered I was because mm-hmm. a lot of things people would say to me, I'd be like, what does that mean? Or I would say, you know, I would ask questions like, oh, what, say that again? I didn't understand the full context of what people were telling me. And so I realized I was very naive to the world. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because my parents really sheltered us. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, two siblings, a sister and a brother, and we were just completely sheltered from the world. And so I realized by then that, you know, it wasn't until... You know, I started volunteering as a young child in high school and, you know, where with my parents, they didn't really let us go out and explore, encourage us to go out and find out what's out in the world. But when I was volunteering in my community, I started to see a little bit more about, you know, issues 
that mm-hmm. I wouldn't otherwise see anywhere else outside of television or outside my home. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until my first job was actually working for the city. And I was offered this job because I was volunteering so much. They said, we'll just pay you at this point. <laughs> and so, and that's when I was first exposed to civic engagement and mm-hmm. getting involved because there were so many different things that were happening from kids not having enough resources or how policies affect human lives. And, you know, I think it wasn't until I got into college and I really, I wanted to major in political science. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had a mentor that told me that, well, you know, you're really interested in the community and maybe you want to think about political science. And I said, well, I think my parents want me to be a nurse <laughs> or they want me to do something else like politics. That's so not part of the conversation at home. So, mm-hmm. But that's really how I started to understand a little bit more about the world is just by my involvement in meeting people outside of my own community, my own culture, and being exposed to other races and issues. And sometimes we don't get that in school. We really have to be out there and be exposed to situations like, for example, I wouldn't know the conditions of a, a nursing home if I wasn't really, you know, if I haven't gone in and realized that there's an issue here and there's an administrative issue. And then the bigger picture is, there's a government that governs everything too. So <laughs> I think part of my passion is really just to help people. And what anchored me into politics is because I want not the dirty side. I really wanted to help people. And I think there are good people in the world and the way the media politicizes and puts on a different narrative and rhetoric that people buy into really defaces or like a population into something that is not true. It's not true to the world. It's not true to yourself. So for me, I think being able to bring out the you know, different perspectives and, you know, ideologies that people have from, you know, being raised as who they are is what I want to do. It's my passion. So I try to help support that cause by being more involved. And today I still try to be involved, whether it be in politics or <laughs> uh, really just simple things in, in the community. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is to be involved, right? Because it's like your own personal experience in that space, as opposed to, let's say, you know, what the media is putting out there, however anyone interprets it. There's a quote that has been stuck on my mind most of this year so far. I don't know who said it. I put it in our email thread, but I have to look this up later. (laughs) But it, it goes something like, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. I also think if you fight for nothing, you'll fall for anything, you know, and it sounds like you getting involved, you being hands on, it's like whatever issues arise, like, you know, where you stand like in those issues. And I think like, that's very admirable. And I just want to let you know that I respect you for that. Well, can I add one thing too, is that the fact that we don't, I didn't have like parents to look up to where they were involved in the politics in a way that I want to be involved today, because I feel that we need to, I don't know if the word is empowered or if they weren't really they didn't, they weren't involved. <laughs> so I'm yeah. kind of the opposite, right? Yeah. I want to be involved. I want to know, I want to be in the know and I want to make good decisions because my parents made decisions based on what they know. And it was like kind of how I describe it in a box. Yeah. And that box is where, you know, we stay, we don't cross that line. And so for me, I jumped out of that box and I feel that not in a bad way, but more, I needed to spread those wings and fly and yeah. understand more about my role in society and my role as a human being and how I can be helpful or even influential to those that could be easily impressionable, but also help bring out who they are in the community. And yeah. 
So yeah, you wanted to expand your own box. It's like, you didn't want to entirely get out of it because that's home, but you wanted to expand it is what I'm hearing. Well, thanks for sharing Eileen. So Caitlin, when did you know that you wanted to start paying attention or let's say extra attention to politics? I think probably the time that I just, I actually have like a very specific political memory when speaking of, you know, our mom being single mom. So my mom um, did a lot of business travel growing up. So we did a lot of travel with her, my sister and I. So she would just kind of like pull us out of school and we would like pack up and hit the road and go with her. And she did a lot of travel to Denver when we were younger. So I remember us going to the airport and I think we were in the Denver airport and it was when Bill Clinton was being impeached because of his engagement or his lies about Monica Lewinsky and saying mm. that he did not have sex with that woman and then him being impeached and I remember him seeing him on TV because we were these like um like kind of like waiting areas or club rooms for United or she flew a lot of miles so they have like these like like chic like she she lounges for their customers who fly a lot so we were mm -hmm. in there and I remember seeing him on the news and saying like, oh my gosh, he's being impeached and asking my mom like, hey, what's the president doing? Like, what, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, why is everyone so serious? And her, you know, kind of explaining to me, you know, this is what's going on. Like our president had lied about this, you know, so mm. like, now he's in trouble for doing this thing. And he, you know what I mean? He's being held accountable for being a liar and being like, oh, okay, wow. Like, who's Monica Lewinsky? Like, what's going on there? Like, you know what I mean? Like, tell me more of that story. But I remember that. And I think, I don't know how, what age we were then, like seven or something like that. Wow. But thinking, yeah, around that age. Okay. Like, I guess I'm aware of politics now. And then I remember, <laughs> I remember when George Bush and when Al Gore were that presidential campaign, like being super into that. And like my mom had a PTA meeting and just speaking of, you know, like always being on road with her, like being with her and like she was at the meeting and I'm just like sitting here with, I forget what it was. I think it was like a, like a Walkman or something that had radio access as well. And I was just like listening to the count and being like, oh my God, like, okay, like Texas is red now. And like, you know what I mean? Like Colorado is blue or whatever the heck, but like, like just keeping track of all that and being like really into that. Yeah, I guess like I really grew up interested in politics and that was obviously, I think a huge influence of my mom's doing, but I think a lot of the political awareness that she inspired within me, I really kind of used as a vehicle more so for this POC perspective that I've really been developing and like studying and studying in school and really trying to advocate for. Yeah. So I really appreciate kind of just, I think, especially being mixed, like as a young person, you are, you become critical at a young age because you have these two different lives, you know, that mm -hmm. you have on, or even if your parents are divorced or, you know, if you lived in two separate households, you know, you see like, okay, there are these two different worlds and you kind of are like contrasting and comparing from a young age. So I think using a lot of that political awareness, but being mindful of how it's being used as a vehicle, who it could be being used as a vehicle for, who it's not being used as a vehicle for. Mm. I mean, I think being really just sensitive to that at a young age. Yeah. Wow. Seven years. I mean, it may not be the exact year, but that's a yeah. very young... Yeah time to get exposed or to be kind of, like I said, woke, like, I feel like you're the way if I did, I'm describing it is woke. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Well, Caitlin, thank you for sharing. And Nani thought I'd ask you as well, when did you sort of know that you wanted to start paying attention to politics? Yeah. So my kind of introduction into politics has been fairly recent. Like I said, I didn't grow up with that really being a conversation. And when I say that, I am speaking specifically about my dad's side, because as Fufi mentioned, Kate, aka Caitlin, I didn't get my first message. Um, I am also mixed as well. So my mom and my dad were not together when I was growing up and I split my time between them. And in my dad's household, politics was not a thing. In my mom's household, that was definitely a conversation that was being had, just one that I constantly and always just tuned out because I didn't take that interest in it. And I I don't know why it just didn't speak to me. But my mom is definitely uh, very into politics, always has been aligns with Fufi's mom as well on her progressive politic personally and also has played a huge part in influencing my opinions, of course, as I started to dive into that conversation. But what really got me into it or wanting to dive into it myself was the identity crisis that I mentioned that I went through back in like 2018 or 2017 or whenever that was that I found the podcast and my part of that being my decision to join this show and also get involved in community organizing work here in the Bay Area. And while I wasn't so passionate about like organizing the actual like campaigns and events that that group was putting on, it was more so I was using that as a resource to learn about politics and to try and form my own opinions, basically. So that was my attempt at taking a stab at that. So I think that identity really plays a huge part in that and also acknowledging that I am half white and that is something that I'm still working through in kind of internalizing what is my relationship as a half white woman, but someone who identifies more as a Filipino American specifically, what is my relationship to power and privilege and how am I going to show up in that sense on both sides, on both ends? So that is, you know, speaking transparently, something that I am currently still working through. But as a co-host on this podcast, obviously, I feel responsibility to uphold a certain level of knowledge and ability to have these conversations because that is really lacking in mainstream media. There's not really like accessible resources for young Pinais to turn to if they wanted to jump into the conversation and learn for themselves the same way that we all have. Mm -hmm. um, so hoping that this conversation at least and this podcast can be a catalyst for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nani. I was just thinking, you know, if this conversation sparks other Panais to reach out to us to continue that conversation, then I think we've started something good here. So just really, really happy about that. When I think about politics for me, my first impression, I'll be quite honest, was not a very positive one. I remember this so clearly. I was in college. It was like my first year at San Diego State University. So this was back in 2006 or seven, around that time, I think I was a freshman. And the thing is a little bit about my background. So after I had lost my dad, I basically learned at a very young age that no one was going to come save me. Like no one was going to be there for me. No one was going to protect me. And especially after I lost my dad, I had dealt with a lot of abusive relationships within my family that sort of like bled into like my friendships, like the types of friends that I would attract into my life. And in all of that, I learned to be self-sufficient. Like I learned to kind of be my own best friend, my own ally, you know, provide emotional support to myself. Like I was really introspective. 
I would journal. I mean, even till this day, I have like a million outlets to just journal. I vlog, I use Siri to dictate for me, to type for me. You know, I do audio recording. Like I have a lot, I have a therapist, I have a couples counselor. Like I have a lot of things to just get shit out of my head. How about that? (laughs) But anyway, I've always been, I picked up at a very young age to, to like, if ever something felt like was out of my control, I would first start by asking myself, what can I do in this situation? Or what other options do I have? Or if I am stuck, how can I look at this situation differently? So that's always been my mindset. So I remember very clearly in college when this was around the time when Obama was campaigning for the first time, you know, and I remember I was walking through campus and I saw these booths and I'm not going to mention which party they were promoting, but it probably is going to sound obvious at this point. But there are these booths where people were saying, hey, did you register? Did you register? You know, you did you register to vote? Like you need to vote. But I don't remember exactly what they said. I just remember how much they were yelling at me <laughs> to vote, you know, to be like, you got to vote. Like, you know, this is your right. Like there's this main road at San Diego State University. I forgot the name. I think it was like Freedom Road or something. And I don't know if it's like, I know it's still there. I just, I just don't know if that's like the actual name. But after a while, I started to avoid that place. I started to avoid that route because I was like, I just like, don't yell at me. <laughs> you know, I can make my own decisions. Don't tell me what to do. You know, that's always been my attitude. That's why I got fired from four jobs in my young 20s. I couldn't listen to a boss. It was bad. That's why I've been <laughs> an entrepreneur for a decade now, because that's just my attitude, you know? So that was like my first experience, I think. And then the second time was when still I was in college, I was invo- involved in my student organization there, the Filipino organization, shout out to Andres Bonifacio Samahan or AB Samahan for short. Uh, we were doing a march for Filipino American veterans because, you know, they weren't rightfully given their benefits after they served. And the thing is, for me, it's, you know, I'm an introvert, so marches aren't like really my thing, but I did it anyway. But it, it, it just kind of, I don't know how, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, I loved doing it with them. At the same time, I would ask myself, like, like, what will this accomplish? Like, is this going to make a difference if we just march through Filipino town in LA, where there's probably only but Filipinos there seeing this march happen, if that makes sense. It's like, this is great. We have the signs, but we're doing this in the Filipino town. We're probably only going to run into Filipinos, you know? And so it's those experiences like early on where I felt like my exposure to politics kind of gave me this impression that like something is out of my control and I have to depend on someone else to give me that, to give what I think I don't have, you know? And so that's sort of like my perception of politics early on. And uh, it's only really until I met my husband, who's a veteran and a big history buff, where I really especially started to pay attention to politics today. And we're going to lead up to the big question of this conversation in a little bit. But, you know, for me, I've come to a place where I can see both sides very clearly. You know, I can see how the left feels, how the right feels, how the libertarians feel, you know, people who, who choose not to vote. I've come to a place where I feel like I can see all sides. And ultimately for me, it comes down to like, well, how does this help me or how does this help me and help me with, and my loved ones. And it's hard. Like it's, it, it, I feel even conflicted just saying that like out loud right now. So anyway, that's a little bit about my background before we get to the big question of the day. I want to know if anyone had anything they want to add to anything that's been shared so far. I would just say, but Jen, I'm just surprised by just the kind of amount of things that I feel like I share in common with you. And I feel, you know, especially the, the things that you've touched on, you know, your family being a little bit of having a migrant, um, farm working family background history, a military mm-hmm. background history, and then obviously your dad passing away, which are things, all the things of which I can relate to, um, especially, you know, that all being on my dad's side in particular. And mm-hmm. uh, 
like yourself, you know, after my dad passed away, obviously, you know, that affected me in a huge and tremendous, you know, life-changing way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we all take our course of action of like, okay, how do I kind of pick up the pieces from here? And, you know, you have to kind of map something out for yourself. And like you say, you know, you yeah. busy and like you have your things that you do and what and whatnot. And for me that, you know, kind of really started to build my perspective on and, you know, reform kind of in some ways my politics and always thinking, like I said, you know, my mom was kind of really like an idealist, like kind of like mm -hmm. I grew up under her really thinking of like, you know, like these big idea pictures and like, you know, this kind of can do attitude. But really after I lost my father, you know, it really humbles you in certain ways that you realize, you know, you feel like, okay, certain things are just impossible. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you just really, it shapes your boundaries and your barriers and your borders. But in some ways it also kind of helps me to realize, okay, but certain things are possible. You just kind of have to pick up the pieces, put one foot in front of the other. But yeah. Really, what is possible from that and what can come from just, you know, okay, so how are things done? Everything, and no matter how huge or impossible it might seem, obviously besides these huge unavoidable things, is really a step-by-step -step process and seeing like, okay, even with politics, like things like opp oppression or racism or, you know, veterans not getting their benefits, you know, my grandpa not benefiting from his GI Bill. Mm. You know, there are ways to step-by-step step, kind of go through the process of figuring these things out and seeing that these things are actually quite possible. And I think like going back to school and really taking the time to think, okay, I really want to learn how these things are possible. Like, I really yeah. do believe now if you put one foot in front of the other, you know what I mean? You take that initiative, there are things that are possible here. And this country does have ways that those those steps are possible and set up to benefit, especially the Filipino American community. But you know, why are the reasons that that hasn't happened in the past? And what are the reasons and the ways in which we can do that now? Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Um, I love how you say that things are possible. It's just about kind of doing the research and what you're doing right now. You know, actually, that's interesting how you brought that up. Like why maybe like, for example, the big questions like how come like Filipino Americans can't come together to like vote for the same thing, you know? And I remember in college again, my college days, well, yay, college, it was worth something. <laughs> I, I remember I had a, I had some mentors there where they just said like, we're just, we're divided. Like we're divided as a country to begin with, you know, like we're, we've been colonized. Like some of us want to be more of our colonizer and some of us don't, some of us want to go back to our indigenous roots. And there's just that natural divide and why we can't agree to a lot of things. But I think through education, kind of like what you're being an example of, Caitlin, is like you could find like how it is possible to, in a sense, like move the needle for our community. For well, I wanted to add one thing. And I do I, I do share that sentiment with you about going in marches and kind of feeling like, wait, so wait, what am I here for? <laughs> is this going to make a real difference? And I've had that epiphany before. And yeah. one thing I want to take a step back on is think about, you know, when people say women have a voice and but I, I always reflect on which women, you know, mm. what about the Filipino American women? And one thing I've shared with Jen a few weeks ago is that, you know, when I work for the federal government, you kind of look around and realize, you know, there aren't any, you know, a lot of people that look like me and who may have an understanding of our roots or where we come from to be able to influence some policy changes and right. be the voice of our community. And that's what's lacking in what I see in terms of, you know, uh, sharing that message across different stakeholders and 
the reason why I share this is because I remember one time when I was at a march or asking for petitions and I agree with you. I don't like being yelled at. <laughs> Thank you. It's so it's off-putting. It's yeah. just like, stop yelling at me. Like, <laughs> yeah. you want me to do something or not, you know? And so, and yeah. just don't yell at me. And yeah. I remember this one person, a congressman came up to me and said, you know, these petitions will just turn into listservs. If you really want to start a conversation, you go call your congressman or senator start the conversation with them first and mm-hmm. meet them halfway, regardless of what your policy issue is or whatever you want to work through. It really starts with that. And that changed my whole outlook of how wow. I approached a problem in our community. And that made a huge difference because I was able to, I mean, you might kind of think like, Oh, it's so far fetched, but you just mm-hmm. do it. You know, you just, just, why not? Okay, fine. I'll try. <laughs> and it's something that without knowing who these people are in person, if you have that opportunity to be able to stand in front of their door, go in and ask for an, a time to meet and set an appointment. I don't know if my voice would even have existed had I not stepped into that room. So mm. I think that's really important to share with, with this group and also with anyone who's listening that our voices are so limited in this country, even though there are those that were recently elected into you know, office this past election. I just think that there's still so much more to be done because there's only one. <laughs> and I think there is a whole community that does a lot of work locally, but in a national scale, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Like, for example, we talked about the veterans not getting their benefits, right? And mm-hmm. even though back then uh, in the Obama administration, they did pass something, it's still limited because they had mm-hmm. to apply for it and there wasn't enough to go around for every veteran. Right. And so, but were people informed about this? Only a certain, you know, pocket of the community may know about these things. And so that's that's really important, I think, to be able to be informed and stay informed, subscribe to your newsletter. And just so we know what's going on, you know, within our community and Filipino-American women and make a decision for ourselves on how we will play a role in this society and, and make that change that we really do want to see in this, this country. Yeah, I know that you put a post on Instagram that you tagged me in of all the Filipino Americans who were elected. So thank you for including me. And I was like, oh, my God, that's just more brown people in office. That's great. (laughs) It is. I never saw that. I was like, oh, fantastic. It's inspirational, you know. It is. It, it is. is. I think a theme that we hear a lot on our show just in general is whenever we find a new Panay in a new space, like I forget who it was that we interviewed that was a physical therapist and that was like her steez and she had like a whole Etsy shop set up with merch and everything. And we were all like, oh, we didn't know Filipino Americans were physical therapists, you know? Oh, and, yeah, Sam. Um, Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, every time we find someone in like a new niche or career, it's kind of like, yeah, well, you don't know because there's just this one of us, you know? Um, and so I think the more we can honor our own like intrinsic interests and what we really want to learn about, the more we can see that it doesn't have to just be one representative in one area, such as politics or physical therapy or whatever it is that you're into. You know, we can see that there are other penais that also are interested in this that we can learn from and collaborate with and grow with and evolve. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah grow our presence, said. essentially. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, I saw you nodding earlier. I figured you might have something you want to add. Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously, you know, to piggyback off of kind of the both of what, you know, Eileen and Annie, what you guys are saying is that really, you know, it starts with us and there's, you know, in some ways there's a reason why there, obviously there are reasons why, you know, there haven't been these resources beforehand and why they are so limited and why, you know, there's such limited representation of us. And a lot of that, honestly, 
has to do with, you know, within the Filipino, especially the Filipino American community, like looking within ourselves and taking that self-interest, you know, like taking mm. interest in ourselves, taking interest in our history, taking interest yeah. in our which, you know, something that Nani and I both share is we both of, well, her father came from the Philippines, but my grandfather and her grandfather came from the Philippines, but they specifically made the decision to not really pass down the language within their mm -hmm. family. So she, I think you, your family speaks Tagalog, Nani? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my family speaks Pangasinan, but well, my grandparents did, I would say, but they chose not to really have their kids grow up speaking Pangasinan. And so then therefore it wasn't passed down to my sister or myself. And, you know, that's something that you really, you really, I think, yearn for in a sense, especially, you know, when you're meeting other, other Filipinos and you're looking for that sense of community, you know, it's kind of like a quick check, like, do you speak Tagalog or like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, no, you know what I mean? I can make mm -hmm. lumpia. Like, you know what I mean? You have to like, <laughs> I can't. like, I can do this, that, and the other, like, but you know, not really having a certain attachments to our heritage that I know that we definitely, you know, yearn for. And that's what led us to really look, you know, inwardly and look towards each other to really seek like, okay, like how can we, you know, build up the pieces and like kind of like fill in the patchwork of this puzzle? Because whether or not we see it, we obviously know that it's there. You know what I mean? We are obviously all instances of that representation and obviously all instances that, you know, we matter. So even mm -hmm. in a matter of looking back into the histories that we have available to us and kind of filling in the blank spaces of, okay, you know, Filipinos have been some of the first people to even come to North America. I remember reading that in a book, I think by Erica Lee, I think it was The Building of Asian America. But Filipino voyagers, I think they were, obviously they were boatsmen, but they were some of the first people to come here and they came with the Spanish. So to really look into our heritage and to see like it's super deep and it's super deep here and that it obviously has so much to offer, but it really starts with us, you know, first to want to take that interest, to demand, to see more representation, to have, you know, demand to see that in school, to learn from a very young age, especially if you're in California, where I think, you know, I know Nani and I are, but... I know Eileen is this should be really a part like if you I mean if you know you know it should be a part of our basic education out here you know we have we've contributed so much to uh, the cultural landscape out in California so to have that not mentioned you know at all throughout our education is just kind of jarring to look back on especially yeah. now and to think like wow you know what I mean we weren't mentioned once in school you know what I mean like especially thinking about the fact that so many so many of us have veterans in our family, you know, we have migrant farm workers in our family. We mm -hmm. have first generation immigrants who have helped build this story and really help contribute to, to this country. And, you know, we deserve to be represented and we deserve to care about ourselves. So it's just good to see that, you know, I'm, I'm just so proud of my best friend to see, you know, that she's a part of making that representation matter. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. I got like a little emotional when you said that to her. It was like best friends <laughs> sending love to each other. Just stop. <laughs> I, I the the key word that I got from what you said, Caitlin, was self interest. We're not taught that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as women, first of all, and then as penis, yeah. it's like you don't think about yourself. You think about everyone else first, and then you maybe think about yourself. And when you do, you feel a little guilty about it, right? Yeah. Or someone else will make you if you do. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is such a, it's funny. Cause it's like, I, I always know, I've always known that, but to like say it out loud and say, say it the way that you said it, like it hits me. It's true. You know, I think that's part of where a lot of our conflict comes from is like, 
not understanding that we too matter. You know, we also matter. We also have a say. We also can have self-interest. I think just having that, just starting there, I think is a beautiful start for all of us to realize like you are allowed to have self-interest. You are like, you deserve it, you know? Yeah. And as it would also be beneficial to others, you know what I mean? We have things to offer. Obviously, you know what I mean? This is a podcast for Filipino American women specifically, but you know what I mean? Like Nadi's boyfriend listens to this. My boyfriend is going to be listening to this podcast. You know, they're both African-American. So they're going to be listening to this, you know, and like they're going to be enjoying it. So obviously outside of the community, you know, we have things to offer. So it starts with us taking that self-interest and then also, you know, taking that next step towards being, you know, proud and, you know, really strutting our stuff and saying like, yeah, not only should we take interest in this, but you guys should also take interest in this as well. Because, you know, like I've said, we've been here, you know, since the Spanish, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, Spanish conquistadors and you want to talk about Spanish settlers, you know, Filipinos should also be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's about, you know, really digging that up and really representing that and really letting people know, you know, with our chest out, like we have things to say here and we care and you should care too. Absolutely. And noting that that disconnect has been intentional. You know, like I think about everything that you just said made me just think about one question. And that's like, my dad was born and raised in the Philippines until he was like seven or eight or something, came to the U.S. for like one or two years and then went back for a couple of years. How does he not speak Tagalog? You know what I mean? Like that speaks volumes, I think. And the fact that I think in our newsletter last week, I just included a news source or an article about a petition that's going around because Philippine history was taken out of the high school curriculum in the Philippines in Mm. 2014. And it's like, what? What? You know, (laughs) Filipino history is only taught through elementary school and then at the college level, but not mentioned at all in high school. How does that A, why? And B, why? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make any sense, but it speaks to, I think, when you, you know, if you do take the initiative to dive in and learn about Filipino history on your own, which is really hard to do because of the lack of resources and accessibility, it explains a lot. Mm -hmm. And that also informs a lot of my political opinions and views today. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. This is so profound. I like, I feel like I need to take like a 15 minute break or something, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep powering through. I got this. Eileen, anything you want to add so far? I know that Caitlin, I just, I'm kind of going in a circle here. So I just want to see if there's anything you wanted to add. I just want to make sure we kind of like comb through this really well before I get to the next topic. I realized we didn't get to the next topic. <laughs> no, we did not. Not yet. <laughs> this is really good. No, I mean, I think this is great. I appreciate everyone's um, thoughts on all of this. So mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot, you know. Me too, okay. me too. All right, so let's go to the next question. Get your boxing gloves out. I'm kidding. I'm just totally, <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. Yeah, so I, you know, I brought up these questions the way that I did on purpose, because I think it's important for all of us to sort of warm up, (laughs) you know, to what's difficult to really talk about. And that's really what's going on right now in politics and our political landscape and economic landscape, cultural landscape, whatever, fill in the blank landscape. And I just want to keep this open ended. But my general question for all of you is, how is what's going on right now impacting you? Yeah, I think I'm going to open up with that. So does anyone want to answer that question? I'm happy to start. <laughs> Go ahead, Eileen. Get at it. <laughs> the political landscape today, I think it's incited people to speak up a little bit more about what they're passionate about, which is great, uh, regardless of what they believe in, you know. And, you know, 
not a lot of people know this, but my husband and I have different political ideologies and political views and we live together and I've had check-ins even within, you know, the past election. Are you guys doing okay? I text you. <laughs> yeah. You, you are one. I was like, are you okay? Are you and your husband okay? Yeah, after yeah. The, is everything going okay? They're still married. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and I understand. I think because the temperature is really high yeah. and there's a lot of passionate thoughts of how people define America and how they see how this country should be run and you know, and it's, I can see the two sides, right? This is my country and they're taking it away from me. No, this is my country and you're taking away these rights from me. It's like, okay, well, how do we meet in the middle? Can we even meet in the middle? So, so my husband and I have had conversations and most of the time we didn't agree, which is fine. And I think being able to learn about where he was coming from and, and actually I love having these conversations. I encourage people to have conversations with those that they don't agree with. So they, can understand beyond the the I don't know what you say like the beyond their own biases what others are thinking and how they formulate their opinion because to be able to step back and understand why like my husband has an opinion about you know the president or you know the the president elect I can see economically the issues the social issues that are coming into full circle of how it's affected him and his family or him as an, you know, when he was growing up and what he believes is the right thing to do for our children. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's resonating with him. And as opposed to, you know, maybe I have views that I also feel that it's for my children too. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay, well, you know, these are the things that I'm thinking about. So it's interesting because there's this whole thing about the cancel culture. And I was actually like, what is that? What is this cancel culture thing? And it's, I didn't realize that when people use that term, it's public shaming. And it's like kind of normalizing public shaming. And in a way, I kind of feel like the internet and social media and the media gives voice to public shaming one way or the other, regardless of what you believe in, that, you know, their names are being called around from and, and I hate when, when I hear these terms that how people are generalized into one specific category because, you know, to have an intellectual conversation and to understand our emotional intelligence, to be a part of the conversation, I think it takes that initiative to just be willing to listen. And that's one thing I always teach my kids is that the most important thing in life is to listen and to not mm. talk so much. <laughs> and <laughs> In politics, everybody talks, right? Everybody has something to say. There's opinions and there's Twitter trolls or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's really important to just sit back and let these thoughts percolate. And, you know, there's a rule that I live by. If you get a, like a, an email that, that kind of makes your blood, you know, boil, wait 24 hours before you respond. Kind of like think about it yeah. before yeah. You, yeah. you start, you know, adding to the temperature, adding to the yes. fire. I think it's really important that right now, I I love to see people being involved and wanting to participate in some way. I've never seen this (laughs) type of involvement in politics. And I've done campaigns in the past. And for the first time, the numbers that have showed up in the voter turnout and the uh, number of voices that were raised and all virtually, you know, Mm -hmm. the past year. I thought it gave rise to a side of our community that we still have a lot of, you know, learning to do. We still have a lot of love to give. And 
and a lot of listening. I think we need to continue these conversations that we're having because that's the only way we'll be able to overcome some of the political banters and political <laughs> issues that are going to continue, you know, forever. They're going to come. You just have to figure out how to navigate those issues. So right. um, and again, I go back yeah. to how do I play my role? How do I know that if my voice is being heard, based on what I stand by. So, and again, it doesn't really matter what you believe in. It's just make sure you do it in a way that's effective, not just, you know, an echoing chamber that you go on, you know, a social media and nothing gets done. So right. let's get something done right. and let's get to work. Yeah. Right. Um, like, go ahead. Nadia. Sorry. I was going to go while I have this on my mind before I forget, but just kind of like what I had touched on before is like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel these like really big, passionate emotions about what's going on, even if you haven't previously been involved in the space. But what matters more is what you're going to do with those big emotions, how those are right. going to fuel your actions and how you're going to show up to, you know, we're never going to all agree in this country or in this community. Um, but how are we going to agree to disagree and advocate for what we believe with respect to not everybody is going to always agree with that um, yeah. and people feel differently. And I wanted to, it made me think of my mom. She really inspired me the other day because she was telling me how there's this new group in the Bay area of like, you know, old ladies that is trying to start this like series of conversations to bring people together and to really have those conversations on why we feel the way we feel. And she was telling me about how, you know, she's working through her own kind of instinct to like push her opinions on people. And she's really switching her focus now to trying to understand why people mm. feel other ways and you know her strategies on how she's going to go about that and the questions that she wants to ask people and it really just made me think you know about this conversation first and then any that follow after this that we can have here for our community so yeah that is kind of how it's impacting me today and I think that politics is still something that I don't intrinsically take interest in and something that I feel more obligated to be a part of now than I do, you know, passionate about or like personally choosing to be in the conversations like this, which I can admit, but I do feel a responsibility to show up in that way and to seek to unify the community, not just push my opinions. So yeah, that is how it's impacting me. Yeah, beautiful. I think just like what Eileen said, I, I wrote down what you said, the most important thing in life is to listen. And, you know, the beauty of social media is that it's given all of us a voice. But that's also a double edged sword, because sometimes we're just going to, you know, some people, I mean, I can't name any off the top of my head, but in general, you know, it is easy to just push stuff out there thinking you're going to create some kind of change. And I like to think to myself, like, if I'm going to put something out there on social media, like, why am I putting it out there? Is it for me or is it for me to tell someone something, you know, is it going to be like a passive aggressive kind of approach? And so, you know, for me, like just thinking briefly, and then I want to get to Caitlin, it's like, once everything happened at the beginning of the year or DC happened, I felt like I wanted to just lay low, like on social media. I think part of it was because like laying low, meaning like I didn't want to get lost in the feeds. You know, I didn't want to get lost into like what everyone was sharing. I more so wanted to get into this conversation than what was on social media, because at least I can have dialogue, you know, like I, I fear like, let's say commenting on something and then all the trolls come out and you're just like, well, I can't talk to you directly. Like, 
you know, and, and even for me, the way that I approach social media is I would rather you private message me than, you know, to comment on my feed because then we can have more of an engagement. You know, I think that's part of the, what's going on with social media is like, maybe people want their opinions to be more publicly seen than to actually, and, and be heard as opposed to actually have like that one-to-one dialogue, which the is polarization. Why, yeah. Yeah. The polarization. So thanks, Nadi. Big word. I did not remember <laughs> that's Friday night here now. Caitlin, just thought I'd check in with you as well on this topic. Um, okay. So obviously current political events. So yeah. current events lately, I think overall, like I think I touched upon at the beginning of the show, more than ever, uh, I've really been thinking about race, mm-hmm. especially in these last couple of years under this administration. And I think when I, especially when I think about politics, I wouldn't say I identify more so with a political party. I identify more so with a racial party. So I would identify more so as being a person of color. When it comes to my politics, Mm -hmm. that's what forms my politics, basically, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And to me, that also means my ethics and my values. That's what really forms my politics. I think specifically as a person of color, you know, really just having really strong values and really strong ethics and really understanding, you know, okay, really seeing the breadth of society in the world and really seeing the breadth of humanity, seeing the best and the ugliest in people. I think as a person of color, you really can understand the, the brush strokes of that and really understand, you know, how people work, talk about listening and thinking, you know, there's something to be learned, you know, even within our oppression, within our history, you know, that has really taught us, you know, to be very understanding. And I think in some ways, you know, talking about our history, certain things, I think it might be unique that in some ways that I think I identify as a person of color, as a Filipino American, because I think maybe some, a lot of Filipino Americans, I'm seeing like especially talking in our emails, more so Asian Americans, I think in general don't, or have a hesitancy or there is like, you know, there is a tendency to kind of barrier or corner off Asian American from person of color and then white Mm. Americans, you know? So to Mm. really kind of like, okay, exclude ourselves in this way. And then to really kind of look into, okay, you know, asking questions and why the history of this is. And, you know, obviously our country has been set up in a way where racially, you know, we're systematized and that's literally, you know, written into our constitution. And so in a lot of ways, I think, especially as people of color, and I think in the Asian community, there is a phobia to identify as a person of color because seeing, you know, what are the consequences of that legally and what's happening yeah. realistically within our society to have that phobia. Okay. I don't want to identify as a person of color and especially having that colonial mindset you know, I'm already dealing with the, excuse my French, but the shit from back home. You know what I mean? Like this kind of, in some ways, you know, having signs on the door that say no Filipinos allowed, like that's different from what, you know, what's happening back home in Pangasinan. So I'll take that, you know, no Filipinos and go somewhere else. Like I'll Mm. go somewhere else with that. And, you know, kind of being able to internalize a lot of the impression. And I think a lot of the racism and the negativity that has happened to us here, you know, Filipinos have really, I think, been able to shoulder that. And we've been yeah. talking about that in a way that has really obviously had huge negative side effects to the point, you know, where we end up assimilating and losing a lot of our culture and losing a lot of our identity and maybe our values and who we are. Yeah. Um, as people and that is obviously something that I really think about heavily and that I feel deeply. And I think specifically um, being a Filipino American from the Bay Area, is probably also something that very, very much shapes our identities. So I would say just, you know, having access to people of color, like from every different background and just having access to people from every different background and just 
growing up with them and that having being or having that be a normal thing, I think is also what shapes my racial politics as well. And I think that makes, you know, Filipinos from this area like kind of just open to that when we're talking about colorism and we're talking about racism and we're talking about, you know, the, you know, there's just these kind of like very nuanced barriers that we deal with on all these different levels, you know, besides racism, we're also dealing with colonialism and we're dealing with, you know, sexism, you know, even to be a Filipino American woman is different to be a Filipino American man, which is different to be a Filipino man and a Filipino woman. So there's just like all these different just nuances. I think that we're dealing with that. I think you really especially see these mental complexities within the Filipino American in the Filipino American community. And I think in these last couple of years, in some ways it's kind of vindicating to have these eruptions in some ways, because it's like, okay, at least people are voicing their hostilities. And in some way, you know what I mean? We're seeing, okay, we're finding community, I think in some ways, you know, we've, I don't think coincidence that, you know, we've all found each other in this time, you know, that we're having this conversation here today. And so I think in some ways I feel like seeing just kind of hostilities from both sides, but seeing especially I think the hostilities of people who have had, white people who have had the privileges within this country to kind of deal with the politics that we're seeing today. They've always had the privilege to participate in those politics and to kind of see them get so upset to the demeanor in which we saw them do so. And we, and yet here as people of color who have dealt with so much, we've never done as much. And so to see that it's vindicating in a lot of ways, we're seeing like a lot of this hostility and a lot of eruption going on, but in a lot of ways, I think people of color are finding community during this time and we're feeling vindicated and we're organizing and we're mobilizing. And at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, people on the other end who have always kind of wanted to see us fail, like they are kind of falling apart. And it's like, <laughs> they're, but they're showing that, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, despite all of that, it's like still I rise. And you know, a lot mm, of amazing yeah. things are happening within our communities. Yeah. Yeah. It's Go ahead, Nani. for reform. No, I was just going <laughs> to add that like, it's a time of chaos and it's going to be, I think it's going to continue to be messy, even though it's a new year and all of that, yeah. that really doesn't mean anything, you guys. Um, <laughs> the chaos will continue and there is still, like Eileen said, so much work to be done and so much more representation to be lifted up, especially within the Filipino American community specifically, but it is like a once in a lifetime opportunity for social reform. And for these issues that haven't gotten a platform to be discussed previously on such a wide and uplifted level to be seen and heard and discussed and for something to be actually done about it. So there is a lot of opportunity, regardless of how messy it's going to be. And I think that that's one thing that we can at least look forward to. Yeah. If we do the work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to actually, if I if I may, raise the temperature a little. <laughs> well, not too much, but I, I I wanted to just gain some perspectives from everyone here in terms of how they felt. What was their impression when they saw you know the Capitol being attacked? Because you know the, the media really spins one rhetoric, and depending on you know who you were, and if you're a person of color or if you were white, some people would say, oh, that was all about white supremacy, or no, that was all about you know supporting for President Trump. But you know through my life, I actually saw it as something else based on my past experience working with the, you know, Department of Justice and Homeland Security. You know, there's a whole phrase, see something, say something. And the first thing that came to mind was it was domestic terrorism. You know, it's like the same feeling I felt where I, I felt so sad was the same 
emotion I had when I saw 9-11 happen, right? And so I was kind of channeling those emotions thinking like, oh, I'm feeling exactly the same way. And the first thing that came to mind was like a 9-11 thing, but this was domestic, you know? And so the, my perception of the attack that occurred on January 6th was more of, you know, based on people that I've worked with and peers that I, and colleagues that I associated myself with to understand that there was a network that existed in this country who plotted and planned something like this. And it, all these opinions about whether it be, you know, part of the, the narrative of white supremacy it could be maybe, but what the investigation really is, you know, to understand it further is, you know, it's an attack on our country and whether regardless of what if these people were Muslim or what if they were black <laughs> or, you know, I think those thoughts have circulated around the internet, but it's really looking at, you know, what do we do about it once we see something like this happen to our country? And because it's related to a cause or related to a thought or a certain cause, doesn't mean that this wasn't what it was. But away from my perspective was that it was an attack on a domestic terrorist attack. Because anytime if, you know, if I was to leave a backpack at the airport or have like, you know, a rifle with me or in walking into the airport, I mean, I would be stopped, right? And so that's a see something, say something opportunity. But the fact that there were, you know, so many walking around with who knows what near a federal building, I thought that was really interesting. But they don't show the other side too. And I really encourage folks to, think outside of mainstream media and read into, you know, blogs or people who are part of that community, even videos, you know, like they didn't show you the side where there's Chinese American that's supporting President Trump who were peacefully assembled, who were by the, you know, Washington Monument and they were playing music. They were there peacefully assembled, but you never saw that in mainstream media. Right. And I think, you know, to say one way or another that even as Filipino Americans, we should be conservative, we should be more liberal because of these issues. I don't like being told. <laughs> I think those are things that we need to decide for ourselves because, you know, I don't like to just lay on one side of the bed. I like to flip, from, you know, and and see which one really suits me in a way that I understand best. So and that's what politics is, really. Right. It's mm-hmm. not one way. And, that, and sometimes people fall into you know, a line where they, they will just slip and continue to slide down that direction. But it's really more, we need to continue to inform ourselves and grow and understand the meaning of what's happening in our world. So especially yeah. as American women, where we still need more voices out there. Yeah. Well, Eileen, thank you for raising up the temperature just a little bit. Yeah. You know, I study both sides. So I, I mean, it's easy to study the left side because all my friends are in California. So I know how, what y'all thinking, you know, (laughs) like I know how everyone's feeling and I see all the memes and I see everything on social media. I also see the conservative side, you know, there's a really good educator, love him or hate him. His name is Dinesh D'Souza, who is an immigrant. He immigrated here from India And he actually, I mean, there's a whole story around him. I'm going to put him in the show notes in case you guys want to look into him. But he really gives an educational, intellectual conversation about conservatives and also how they interpreted what happened. And from what I've gathered so far, and I feel like at this point, this is all kind of like theorizing because of mainstream media. And like, there's so many messages out there where it's like, what is true? But Based on what I feel like I've seen so far and learned so far, I agree with you with the domestic stuff, you know, because, yeah, I I just do. Like, I I do think that there's something else going on that incites riots that 
isn't always really addressed, I guess you can say. And I wish I could say that in a little more, I wish I could be a little, a little more articulate about it, but I think I'm just trying to, you know, say I second that <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, Cause even myself, like, you know, ever since everything happened, I started to go back and read books around like the cold war, like the book, 1984 Fahrenheit 451 animal farm, a brave new world. Like these are books that uh, very much um, kind of mirror what's going on today, depending on what side you're on. The thing that I think that I'm most fearful about and whether this is, you know, and this will probably come off really controversial is digital censorship. Just the fact, whether you love or hate Trump, he was taken off of Twitter, you know, and everyone's like, oh, well, if the conservatives don't like being on these platforms, they should start another platform. So they moved to another platform called Parler, but then Amazon, Apple and Google took out, took down Parler. So it's like they were trying to find a platform, but they got taken down. And so I think that's the part that scares me the most, I think, is, you know, what is the future of freedom of speech or what's the future of digital speech, I think, for that matter? And what do we really know? Like, I could be talking out of my ass right now. I could be completely wrong. I think that's why for me, I've decided to go back to reading. I've decided to go back to studying and really looking out for the different voices whether it's liberals, conservatives, libertarians, or just nonpartisan overall, and trying to listen to the ones who are intellectual, that are, that are willing to kind of talk through their perspective and refer to history. That's where I'm at right now with that. And so, you know, I mentioned to you guys in the emails where I'm just, I'm just conflicted, you know, and, and ultimately for me, it just comes down to, do I have a roof over my head? You know, is my business still intact? Like, can I keep doing what I'm doing? And I remind myself of that. I remind myself of like, okay, it's all crazy out there, but so far, so good. Like so far in the reality is like, I'm happy with where I am. And I do have the luxury to educate myself. Some people may not, some people may not have that luxury. Some people are so busy that they're just going to take what's being put on mainstream media, you know? And so I feel so grateful to have that. And more importantly, this space to talk to you all, to have these intellectual conversations, you know? And I think that's it. I mean, I, I feel like I don't have much else to say at the moment, but those are my thoughts. I'd like yeah. to respond. Oh, sorry. No, 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 go, go. No, I think, and that's one thing I, you know, that's important. <laughs> a lot of people might be scared to say this if you're you know, leaning one way or the other, mm-hmm. even if, you know, with, I have a lot of liberal friends and for me to even say that I agree with you that I do think censorship is happening and big techs are, you know, empowering themselves to control mm-hmm what's being said out there, which is, you know, our constitution says first, you know, right, first amendment, right, right. And so, mm-hmm. and for me to say that, I think it goes against, you know, some beliefs that I shouldn't speak up about that and stick to one narrative. And yeah. and that's the thing about evolving as a human being is that I'm not going to be just one way. It's mm-hmm. okay to say, I agree with some of these conservative thoughts or some of the values and it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I have some more social progressive ideologies as well. And that's okay too. So, and I, I really speak out about that because what I, I also fear, not just the censorship that, that's happening is that people are, you know, there's, there's a, there's a movie on Netflix about this whole social media thing, how it actually influences our way of thinking. And I really want to emphasize that we, we should be able to formulate our own opinions without being so distracted to one way or the other. And I think it's easy to get caught up to a narrative and a message that's being sent out there. And it will be caught, you know, we're not doing the research. And that's my biggest pet peeve is when yeah. people don't do research and before they, they 
you know, maybe put something out that's not sensitive or not really well thought out or not even factual and which leads to a lot of misinformation that causes a lot of harm in the community. So I think that's, and I really, really want to emphasize that it's okay to evolve as a human being because, you know, I'm also a believer, I'm a, you know, and of God. And I can't say that I don't because of these other values and things that I, I support, you know, and, you know, that's really I want to just share because I, I see oftentimes that people are forced to be one way or to support one way. Yeah. And again, it's like that angry yelling at you and then you get the angry emails you're supposed to be, <laughs> you know, yeah. supporting this. I think the important thing is, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, Eileen, is to to not respond on impulse, right? It's like if you're feeling angry and there's a message that keeps feeding into that, like take a moment to stop and be like, like that's doing that to me on purpose. That's making me angry on purpose, you know? And I think it's really important to take a step back and calm down. But okay, what is this really about? Like, am I just getting, am I getting angry just to get angry? Or is this really impacting me? Is this really something that really deeply impacts me? And is there something I can do about it? So that's my response to that. So Nani, I know you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, so I think what happened on January 6th, obviously, sparked a lot of emotions for me and watching it all play out on social media and, you know, news outlets, wherever, really just highlighted the stark difference in how people of color are treated and responded to in the moments Mm -hmm. that they try and speak up for injustices that they feel versus how white people are treated and responded to in those same ways and what they're allowed to get away with, how they go about it, et cetera. And that was one time that I was able to step outside of my just like kind of habit of taking things in from the media or from the news as truth and say, like, why are these titles of these news articles not calling it domestic terrorism? Because Mm. like Eileen said, that is what it was. That is Mm. what it is. And in my opinion, they have more plans to continue that. And if it's not addressed as such, then we can't find solutions to it or find ways to respond to it as such. And in terms of digital censorship, I mean, I am in full support of what, you know, Trump being kicked off of Twitter, because I think that he needs to be held accountable for inciting those violent acts. And I don't believe that it's an attack on conservatives. I think it's an attack on hate speech, which should be applied on either side. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. I would just, if I could just say something, just picking back off in conclusion, is just, I think something that we've all picked up on and something that we've all said kind of, or alluded to at some point is just that we don't like being told, like, we don't like being told what to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the problem is, it's something I think specifically as Filipino American women, we're adamant about that. It's because we've specifically been told what to do. You know what I mean? And I think highlighting that and just on that basis, you know, we're talking about conservative, liberal, and seeing the difference in how, you know, I guess we would say people of color who were protesting, how they were treated versus the white anarchists who were attacking the Capitol, how they were treated, as it just goes to show in a lot of ways, you know, we still have to identify as Filipino American women first and foremost before we can even mm. get into the politics of conservative liberal. Yes, we all would love to be, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to decide our own politics. We want to vote this way, that, and the other. But as someone especially, I think, who has taken the decision to identify as a person of color and doing that based off of what I know 
in my phone family history. So just kind of like starting at the root, you know, starting with at the end of the day, I can't be confident in anything that's going on in media, history, education. What do I know from my own family history? And knowing that, you know, my family has been here before civil rights, when we specifically weren't allowed in certain places, we weren't allowed to drink off of certain things. You know, my grandpa fought in uh, World War II, you know, as an American soldier and wasn't given his GI benefits. Mm -hmm. So just to go, you know, into my own family history and see, okay, whether or not we want to identify as people of color, how have we been treated and how were we treated by this country and how much has that changed? And Mm -hmm. obviously to me, not so much if this is the first podcast, you know, for Filipino American women. So for me, in a lot of ways, that's why I still feel like, okay, being a person of color, being a Filipino American woman is where I want to identify first and foremost before I even get into talks of the the liberals were doing this, the conservatives were doing that because it's like at the end of the day, who are those people? And how are those, Mm. see see even how identifying this way or that is, it already, you know, puts these schisms between people who still need to be fighting together as a base. You know, I really, in a lot of ways, you know, it really starts with how we talked about taking that self-interest and being a Filipino American woman I think first and foremost before even being, you know, a Filipino American. So I think there's still just very much a call for that and starting there, I think is really, really important. Yeah. Wow. Say it again. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's like a great way to wrap up our conversation. I mean, we're not like literally wrapping up right now, but I love how you say that because I think everything that we're talking in the grand scheme of things, like how we're viewing January 6th, like in an odd way, and this is not to be an insult to any of us, but it's all kind of like speculation until we know, you know, what we want, you know, and, and, and unless we know, unless we put that self-interest first and we know what we want to fight for, like, I think looking back at January 6th, when we very much well know what we stand for and what we want, we'll look at it a lot differently. But I think it is, yeah. So just thank you for saying that. It's just kind of being reminded like, hey, that's all there, but what about here? What about my roots? What about my family? What about my history? And let's just start there. Like, let's just start as Filipinos, you know? Wow, that's deep. Anyone? That was <laughs> so good. I was like, I'm done. That was just, that was just a great way to Drop wrap the it mic. Up. Yeah, I was yeah like, mic drop. Thing to add. Just snaps. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, beautiful. That was so beautiful. Ladies, this was a, a long and so needed conversation. I want to thank you all for coming forward today and having this dialogue first pre-recorded and then published and cleaned up, I guess. But it means it means so much shout to me that to Dennis. Yeah, shout out to Dennis. <laughs> Please just, take out all our stuttering. <laughs> yeah. This this means so much to me, and I'm sure Nani and I know our listeners will really, really love this. One more thing before we go, because I do want to end on a positive note. What are our hopes for 2021? What do we hope for ourselves and maybe for our community as a whole? Would anyone want to start with that? (laughs) I think that we can all align that there needs to be, the point of this conversation is not what our views are and what we Mm -hmm. believe. It's more so that we need more representation here in the community and accessibly, you know, in mainstream media. And so whatever your feelings are about this conversation or about what happened on January 6th, etc voice it say it don't be scared to speak that's right again remember where you're coming from what your origins are what is your relationship to your filipino identity to your filipino american heritage and roots and what is your family's story and how does that inform you know what your view of the political landscape looks like today talk about it i think that's my my hope for 2021 is to hear more panais just talk about it yeah same uh 
<laughs> You're like, second that. Eileen? Yeah, so I would love to see more support for Filipino businesses, Filipino leaders, for more Filipino leadership to, to emerge. I, I think they, they're out there. They exist. And if there's an opportunity for them to rise and help their communities, specific communities, I think we should do our best to understand what they stand for and support them as much as we can, especially our businesses, small businesses that have suffered or closed. And oftentimes, I think some who have been operating on very scant resources are struggling. And I'd love to see them overcome the challenges that they had to face this past year by rising back up on their feet and seeing them become successful and help drive these businesses back into full force. So that's what I would love to see. Yeah. Yeah. Considering that um, your husband is a small business owner and my husband and I are in business as well. Thank you for saying that, Eileen. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, let's support these businesses. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little, sh- a little shameless plug. No big deal. Plug, um, yeah. That's okay. It's our show. We could say what we want. The last thing I'll end, last thing for me, I want to share is this quote that I have on my Instagram and I'm going to keep it on here until it doesn't make sense to is by Alice Walker. And it goes, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. And And I think today we just proven that we have power, that we have what it takes to represent. And so ladies, thank you again. I love you all. Kaylin and Eileen, I know we just met, but I love you. (laughs) I love you too. I love all of you. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, would you like to let them know, would you want to be contacted? Do you want to let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you? I'll start with you, Eileen. Do you want people to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can find me on Instagram or you can find me, you know, just Google my name, <laughs> just find some contact and wait to find, or oh, cool. probably in your show notes too, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, what about you? Um, yeah, so I have a website and it was actually featured in the Filipino American newsletter. Filipino yes, you are. Newsletter. So if you are checking your newsletters, I, what was it, Nani? I did the, uh, I did like um, a prop. She for- is the one that made the Penai voting guide for you guys when it mm-hmm. was around election time for, to highlight like specifics to focus on the voting ballot that specifically affect and are directed at the Filipino American community. So you guys may have remembered when we promoted her there in our newsletter and probably a lot of you guys checked that out and used it to, to cast your votes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yes. Right. So yeah. So it's com. So perfect. And we will have that in the show notes. Uh, wow. I just feel like we need to take a moment to just, you know, breathe and just, I just want to bask in this love and just dialogue. So again, and I know Nani has to go. So Nani, thanks again for co-hosting with me as always. This was a beautiful conversation. Of course, as always, my pleasure. Yeah. And again, to our listeners, you can check out all the show notes and contact information of all of us here at the website, tfawproject.com. And of course you can text us. I bet by now you're probably like, oh my God, I need to text Jen and Nani, 415-484-8329. Thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye.